0: Well, if you don't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. The Old Testament book of Habakkuk. And chapter number one. Habakkuk is found within the minor prophets. So if you find your way to the gospel records, just turn left, just a couple small books. Remember, the minor prophets just only have a couple chapters each. You have Malachi going backwards. Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, Zephaniah. And then you come to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk. I love the book of Habakkuk. I've encouraged people from time to time to make a book of the Bible a specialty book. Meaning you take that book of the Bible and make it yours. Make a study out of it. Study every verse. Read it over and over. Try to know everything about it. So just make it yours. Um, over the years, my favorite book in the Bible is the book of uh, Hebrews, I love the book of Hebrews, and we'll be preaching through that the very beginning of 2021, walking through that wonderful book. I love the book of Hebrews, and I've made that a specialty book. Two other specialty books that I have happen to be in the Minor Prophets, and Habakkuk is one of them. I love the book of Habakkuk because this is just like looking at the news of our day and still finding an answer, and that's what we need today is we need answers. And so if you don't mind, notice with me in the book of Habakkuk in chapter number one. Habakkuk in chapter number one, and let's start in verse one and get a little bit of a context. Notice with me in verse one. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see, O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out to thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark one word that we find in Habakkuk chapter number one? Habakkuk chapter one and verse number three, the very first word, why? Why? And with this, we want to hit this principle here, the question that all people ask and no one can answer. The question that all people ask, but no one can answer. Why? Why? You ever find yourself asking that question? Why? Why? We know that there are things way beyond our comprehension. Way beyond. We're on lesson number two. Good. We're um, way beyond our comprehension. Way beyond what we could understand ourselves. And we look and we ask ourselves, why? Why? Notice with me, if you don't mind, as Habakkuk gives a a report. Remember that what's happening in the book of Habakkuk is that Habakkuk's having a conversation with God. And to a surprise, God answers him. And so he gives a, a reply. God speaks back. He replies to that. and It's a conversation back and forth. But it starts off with Habakkuk having a burden and Habakkuk praying. Notice with me in verse number two. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry? And that will not hear. He says, I'm praying and it doesn't seem like anything's changing. In fact, I pray and then I turn on the news. And it's worse. It's not changing. He says, even cry of the unto violence and that will not save. Lord, do you see the violence that's going on? Do you see the destruction that's going on? Do you see what they're doing? And it's not stopping. How come you're not delivering us? How come you're not putting it to stop? If you think about that sometimes, how come God just doesn't stop that? Why? Verse number three. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? He says, you've given special discernment. By the way, let's define discernment. Discernment is far-seeing. It's not just seeing where people are at. It's seeing where it is taking you. And there are a lot of things that may seem good, But when you follow where it's going, it doesn't lead to something good. And Habakkuk saying, you're showing me, you're giving me discernment. I could see where this is ending up. Why? Why Why don't you do something about it? Why is this going on? For spoiling and violence are before me. And there are that raise up strife and contention. When I look at my Facebook feed, Habakkuk says, if they had Facebook back then. and. And I look at it and it, all it is is violence and there's people purposely stirring up strife. There's people personally, uh, pers- purposely fanning the flames and causing it just to go up and they won't let the matter die and, and it seems to be making it worse and they don't stop. He says, therefore the law is slacked. And judgment doth never go forth, for the wicked compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth." He says there's so many people who are doing wrong that people don't even obey the laws no more and no one tries to uphold the laws. And he's asking the question, why? Do you know the question why all throughout the Bible is the only question that is not answered? It never answers the question why. In fact, if you look at all the requests of Jesus, there is only one question that Jesus asked that God never answered. Why hast thou forsaken me? Why? It's the question that all people ask, but no one can answer the prophet Habakkuk's praying and he's looking at this and he's putting this over and says, why? Why? Why is this going on? Why isn't it being fixed? Why is this going on? You know, there are times when it seems like our problems are insurmountable. They're higher. They're, they're overwhelming. And we don't know what to do. I was reading about um, Pastor Sexton. He had a a young couple come up. And he said, Pastor, I want to have a meeting with you. And Pastor had set up the meeting. And he says, he showed him his thumb. And underneath his thumb was a little black spot. And he says, you see this spot? He says, this is one of the rarest forms of cancer. And I only have a few weeks to live. And Pastor Sexton says, even though they didn't ask the question, you could see it unasked. Why? Why? I mean, how do you encourage a family that has the news like that? I mean, he seemed to be in good health, but he has a death sentence on him. Why? We look at a lot of things going on, and we look at the needlessness. Why? Why? Why does God allow these things? Why do they happen? You know, even Jesus' disciples had asked the question, why? Turn with me to the Gospel record of John in chapter number four. Or chapter number nine, rather. John chapter nine. The Gospel record of John chapter nine. The Gospel record of John in chapter number nine... And notice as Jesus' disciples ask a question, (laughs) John chapter 9, and notice with me in verse 1. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And so as they're passing by uh, a blind man, his disciples say, hey Jesus. Why is this man blind? Was it because something he did? Or was it something that his parents did? They, they were asking why. They were assuming that it was some kind of sin that had been done. And because of this, there was a consequence on this man. And they're like, Jesus, why? Why is he blind? They were asking the question, why? Notice what Jesus said, though. Jesus answered, neither hath this man sin, nor his parents, but the works of God should be manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. Jesus said, I allow these things to take place. I know what I'm doing. What we see here is that Jesus is the answer. He said these things weren't because the man's sin or the parent's sin. It happened so that way God could get glory. It happened because God knew what he was doing. So what we see here, and you're going to see here, I'm just going to spoil the ending for you. When you ask the question, why, the Bible responds with the answer, who? God. God knows what he's doing. So when we do this, it's hard to answer the question, why. But there are principles in the Bible that we can apply to help us to answer the question, who, to be able to get understanding to be able to to get through this. So if you don't mind, let me first of all show you a couple things in the Bible and I want to give you these principles here as we answer the question or answer with a response, who? Who? First of all, we have to understand this. We are loved by God. We are loved by God. You cannot under Anything el- understand anything else until you first realize God loves you and he loves everybody. Jeremiah 31.3 says that, yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. God loves you and he loves me. Now, <laughs> I understand that standing before you as a preacher that has been preaching for a while, and so sometimes people have the mistaken notion that I've always been perfect. That I've, I'm not perfect now, but you know that some of you may have never even seen me outside of a suit, And so you sometimes imagine I may even take a shower in my suit. I mean, that just, that's how it is. But do you know that I didn't grow up in a Christian home? I didn't follow the Lord. There was many years I was backslidden, even inside of the military. And I'm thankful for God's protection. But I'm saying that there were years where I didn't want to listen to God. I didn't want to hear what God had to say. I didn't have any desire to obey God. I just wanted him just to leave me alone and let me do my thing. And do you know that God still loved me even then? Amen. What I'm trying to do is give a principle. Is that there's nothing anyone can do to make God stop loving you. God loves all people. He refuses to stop loving anyone. And so because He loves us, He also wants the best for us. And so God is always at work. We know that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God loves you, and He loves the world, and He loves other people. He even loves people who do not love Him back he loves them. So you have to start off with this principle that we have a loving God who loves all people and he desires the best for them. God loves them. Now, the devil is the accuser of the brethren and he's a liar. Satan would love to tell you that God does not love you because if he loves you, he wouldn't have allowed certain things within your life. That's a lie. When we ask the question why, we have to remember who? Remember that God loves us. We may not have all the information, but God loves us. And he does desire the best for us. But he allows some things in our life. We're going to explain some more. But we have to start off with this very first principle. God loves us you. God loves us. We are loved of God. There's a second thing that we have to understand as we answering the question why with the answer who, is that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. That God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Turn with me if you wouldn't mind to the book of Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. I don't think that's me. Isaiah 55, Isaiah 55, remember we don't ask the question why, we just answer the question who? (laughs) That God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Notice with me in Isaiah 55, Isaiah 55 and if you don't have a couple of these verses uh, highlighted or marked, you probably should, because these are very helpful in understanding the character of God, of who God is. Notice with me in Isaiah 55. Notice with me, if you don't mind, starting at verse 8. Isaiah 55 and verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts, then your thoughts, for as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I have sent it. Here we could see this, that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. One of our biggest problems is that we try to bring God to our way of thinking. Have you ever tried to convince God? Try to talk to Him in prayer and trying to convince Him why your plan is the best plan. If you could just fix so and so there, that's, if you just make Him nicer to me, that's going to be better for everyone. Have you ever tried to convince God that How to do things and try to give him instruction. But God says, listen here. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He says, how high are they? They are as high from earth where we're standing to the heaven where he belongs to. That's how distant, how different his thoughts are from our thoughts. If I may use this word, it may not be a correct word, but his thoughts are alien to our thoughts. Meaning, the way he thinks is completely different than the way we think. Completely different. We're stuck with humanistic thinking. I mean, even when we look at this world, do you know that there's a difference between western thought and oriental thought? They think differently. And God's thoughts are way above our thoughts. He knows more information than we do. We're limited by what information we have. He knows more than us. He sees all the picture. He sees all the time. He sees the consequences of our action. He knows what's best. And so for us, we're trying, to, we're trying to win a sack race with just one leg. We're limited. We're just trying to hop through the best we can. But God knows more. His thoughts are above our thoughts. And he knows what he's doing. But we have to understand this principle that God does not think the way that we think. Most of the time, the way we think is that we want things easier for us. We want that person to be nice to us. Even when we pray for people to be saved. Man, I want so-and-so to be saved. Why? So that way we have a better relationship. It's thinking about me. I want them to be saved so I can get along better with them. I want them to be saved so they don't give me a hard time anymore. I want them to be saved so that way I have a better life. That's usually... Some of the ways that we think. But that's not how God thinks. It's, His thinking is above our ways. He knows more. We want things easier. We want things better. We want things for us. But God thinks differently. So we start off, we're, what we're doing is we're asking the question, why, with the answer, who. And to understand this, we understand, first of all, we are loved by God. All of us are loved by God. And that we know that his thoughts are above our thoughts. His thoughts are not our thoughts. We also understand a third thing, his ways are not our ways. The way that he does things is completely different than our ways. We see that in verse number eight. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways... My way, saith the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are your thoughts. But notice this picture that he gives in verse 10 For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, and return not thither, but watereth the earth, and make it forth, bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So think about this. God allows the water from the sky to condense up. And technically, most places, unless you're tropical, it falls as snow first. And then as it comes down, if it's cold enough, it will continue to be snow. If not, it'll warm patch and it will turn to um, rain. So imagine that. That when it starts raining on you, even in the middle of the summer, it started off as snow. So. <laughs> and so, but it comes down. And when it hits the ground, it just doesn't bounce back up and then goes back into the sky. But what it does is it goes into the earth. And it soaks into the earth. And while that moisture is in the earth, it may make it to a plant root. Get sucked up into the plant root. And go up the xylem. Now we're getting technical science terms. Someone said no science. Uh, But it goes up the xylem. It goes up the roots into the plant. And it goes into the green leaf. Now that it has water, it takes the sun from the sky, packs photosynthesis, turns it to green. Uh, It produces food for the plant and the plant grows. And it grows until maybe it turns into a stock of corn. Where did that stock of corn come from? Part of it was the rain that God sent from the sky. Now we don't see it all happening, but this is a process that's going on. A process continuing and God is saying, I'm directing it. I know what's going. I'm moving things behind the scenes. I've got things going. And you don't even see that the rain shower that you were complaining about, that it ruined your picnic, is going to turn to the same food you're going to eat for your next picnic. He says, I'm seeing this. These are my ways. I'm directing it. It may be that something that God does... And put something in your path and you complain about it. But God says, no, I'm using this print thing to draw someone else to the Lord. I'm doing it in your life and you don't even realize that I'm using it to work on someone else. God says, I know what I'm doing. He says, I could devise this and set this up. And I could put things in place and you don't even see how that it's working together some of the most insignificant things can turn to be a great thing when it's all done to fruition. It could be such a thing that you pass out a track to someone and they kind of look at you strangely but they take the track. And it could be where they take the track and they put it in their house with the intention to throw it away but they get distracted and put it on the counter. And they pass by the counter every now and again and look at it Meaning to throw it away. Maybe one time they said, all right, I'm going to pick it up, throw it away. And they mean to throw it away and they get distracted they set it somewhere else. (laughs) And it could be that one day they carry it to their bedroom and the next thing it's in their mirror. And they look at it in the mirror every day until later on I knock on their door again. And they said, you know what? I've had this tracked for a year and I've been looking at it and I tried to throw it away and it never got there. I want to be saved now. By the way, true story. You never know how God is working and watering and getting things across. Things that we think is a total failure may work. Again, forgive some of the personal illustrations. There are some times I preach a message and I think, I just mess that up horribly. I... Pfft. I don't even know why someone showed up for that. That was just a waste of everybody's time. We should have just canceled beforehand. And and then someone comes up to me and says, Pastor, that's the exact thing I needed today. And because of that, I made a decision. And I'm changing my life. You never know what God's going to do. You never know how God's going to work. We've just got through going through a series a uh, Sunday school series called Treasures in Darkness, where the worst things that happen to us can turn to be the greatest things that happen to us if it draws us to the Lord Jesus Christ. God's ways are above our ways. He knows how to use things that to us seem to be horrible and turn them to be the glorious things that many people get saved, many people are affected. Maybe that one person is affected and drawn to the Lord. That's how good and amazing our God is. Notice with me in verse 11. So my word be that that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void. That word void means empty. But it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing I sent it to. This is a promise of God concerning his word. God says you give out his word and it may not seem like it's going to work. But inside, just like that water, this is what he's directly tying this to. The water coming from the sky, going into the ground. And during the ground, it's doing a work that you can't see until it becomes the plant. It comes bloom. He says, that's what my word does. You may think that you're wasting your breath, quoting John 3.16 to the person that said, don't ever tell me another verse again. And inside of their heart, God's working. God's working. I may have given this illustration before, but there was a preacher who um, um, <coughs> came back to his hometown and he met with his high school friend. And during dinner, they were talking about their life and different things that went on. And the preacher was explaining that he accepted Christ as a savior in the military. And, and, um, that he was saved now, and he was preaching a revival service. And he says, you know, one thing that you need to know is that you need to know for sure that you're going to heaven. And the guy says, listen, I don't believe the Bible. What about this? And he could tell as the the conversation went on that the... um, Nothing he could say would convince this man he had an uh, answer for this or an objection for this. And finally the preacher just said, you know what, I don't know about all that. But I do know that First John chapter 5 verse 12 says that he that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. He says, well what about this Here. I don't know about all that, but I do know one thing, that he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life. Well, what about this? Well, I don't know about all that, but I do know that he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life. He says, is that all you're going to say all night, is he that hath the Son hath life? He says, yeah, that's that's about it. He says, I think we're done. He says, okay. And he was broken hearted because he really wanted to lead his friend to the Lord. Well, he's preached the next day at a revival meeting, and he says, sure enough, coming in from the crowd at of the of the, of the evening meeting was his friend and bringing his wife who had these like eight inch stiletto heels coming on trying to look nice for church and he preached a message and as he preached a message he had the invitation and he invited people to come up and he watched his friend stand up with his wife and begin to just go down the aisle and she's trying to keep up with those big old heels and finally she was dragging him back too much and uh, <laughs> she's trying to she, he just broke loose of her and ran up to her. And he says, oh, he's coming to punch me in the face. This is it. And so uh, normally an invitation, people would respond at the altar. But the guy came straight up to the preacher. And he says, oh no, I'm going to lose it here. And he says, I get it. He that hath the Son had life. And he that had not the Son of God had not life. And behind the pulpit, he led his friend to the Lord. You never know what God is going to do how God is going to work. God promised that his word will never return void. In fact, something I, when I instruct young preacher boys about preaching, God never promised to bless my preaching, but he did promise to bless his word. Amen. And so as long as we get the word of God in there, and make it paramount, we could trust that God is going to do something. It is his word that has the effect. By the way, let me remind you that it's not even your great speaking skills that will work. Give them the word of God. Even if it's something as simple as he that hath the Son hath life and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. God's word will do a work. We could trust it. God's ways are not our ways. Our ways is we want to convince them. We want to solve problems through human ingenuity. We want to come up with a plan. God says, my word has the answer. Remember, when we ask the question why, we should turn around with the answer, who? We know that God loves us. He loves us. He loves everyone. We know that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God's ways are not our ways. Something else that we understand about God is that God is not on our timetable. Turn with me to the book of 2 Peter. The book of 2 Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3, which is uh, in the context that people are saying, where is the promise of his coming? You crazy Christians are saying Jesus Christ coming back, and you've been saying that for 2,000 years. Where is the promise of his coming? That's a good question. Where's Jesus at? What's going on during this time? Well, notice with me in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. One day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any shall perish, but all shall come to repentance. What we see here is that God doesn't work on our timetable. He has his own timetable of things. To be honest, we want things done now when we want our answers answered now and we want the problem fixed now but God's timetable is not our timetable but remember that the Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness you know we forget this part of the Lord we have actually heard people say well you've been praying for that lost one for a year well I guess they're not going to get saved don't even bother praying anymore you know how hopeless that is What we understand is that God's timetable is not our timetable. We could trust that God loves them. And that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. That God knows what he's doing. His word will not return void. That if we've given him the word of God. And we pray as we ought. We can expect that God will do something. By faith. That's trusting God by faith. There is no one so far gone that God cannot save. There's no situation that cannot be fixed by God. But God doesn't work on our time schedule. You imagine how prideful and arrogant we would be if God worked on our time schedule. God do this now. We get to the place where we think we're the master and God's the slave. God works on his timetable and he works as for God, his ways are perfect. His time is perfect. I've watched people who got saved later on life. And I rejoiced that they got saved. But I almost rejoiced that they got saved later in life. Because they may not have had a good church to go to. And they may have wasted their entire life learning some watered down Christianity. And not amounted anything for the Lord. And it was better for them to get saved later on. See this is some of the things that God puts in order. I believe that God prepares a time and he prepares a place. People, I pastored a church before this and people said, did you waste time there? No, I believe that God was preparing this place and me to go at the same time and to be ready. God's timing is perfect. We're not on God's timetable. or God's timetable is different than ours. He knows what he's doing. You know, I look at myself and I'm getting to be middle-aged, I guess, maybe, on the younger thing. And I look and I say, you know what? Man, if I would have known some of this stuff years ago, I would have been so far ahead. But God's timetable is perfect. God knows what he's doing. We can trust him. His timing is perfect. But Then there's something else that we finally come up to. The, The answer is, Jesus Christ. Remember, when we come up with a question why, we go answer back with a question who. Who is the answer? Jesus Christ. One more passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if you don't mind. And this is important. This is going to be key here. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 In verse number 7, it says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Do you know if we had the answer why every time we'd be walking by sight? When we ask God, uh, Why God, why? What we're telling God is, I want to walk by sight. When the answer is who? I walk by faith. I don't know all that's going on but I trust Jesus and Jesus knows what he's doing. That's the difference of walking by faith and walking by sight. We all know people who can't move on because they don't get the answer why. If, <laughs> if you could forgive the illustration, my wife and I know someone personally whose dog died 10 years ago and they're still in mourning. Now, I understand pets are are like family members, and I'm not saying that grieving isn't natural and isn't real, even for pets. But 10 years is obsessive for a pet. And uh, she couldn't move on. She has not done anything with her life in 10 years because she's still in black, dour. Her own daughter is at the place where you love that stupid dog that's been dead more than me. Because you 'll talk about the dog, you don 't pay attention to me and uh, <laughs> she's stuck with the question why why, why We all know people who said, "My grandmother was ninety six years old. why did God take her?" Well <laughs> life happens it's not god 's fault it's life happens now again i 'm not belittling the grieving thing uh, grieving's natural in things but Some things aren't God's fault, but with the question why, when you get stuck there and don't move on, you're walking by sight and saying, I'm not moving forward until I have the answers clearly presented before me. And you're missing the other part. We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by the answer who, even if we don't know the answer why. Can you trust God? God. Can you trust Jesus? Can you depend upon him? You know, <laughs> even stuff like this. I got a flat tire. Why God, why? You can imagine you're standing out there in the rain. Looking, why God do I have this flat tire? Right Screaming out to him. And, <laughs> and you know, it could have been that God Saved you from an accident that was just up ahead. It could have been that he put you there in time for the tow truck driver because the tow truck driver needed a track. You're driving behind and you see the dreaded lights behind you. Woo! Why, God? Why? It could have been that the police officer needed a track. Maybe he just needed someone to say, thank you for doing your job today. We don't know. Stupid wife, didn't get all the stuff at the grocery store. Now I have to go in Walmart in middle of Saturday at two o'clock when only crazy people go there at that time. And could have been that maybe there was someone there that was discouraged and they see you and say, oh, I remember you. Do you go to church still? Please, I've been so hope. Can you pray for me? And it could have been just a divine appointment that was set up. We walk by faith and not by sight. Instead of putting our attention on the question, why? Let's keep our attention on the answer, who? Jesus is the answer.